You know that person who is in a room full of people and opens their mouth to speak and everyone just stops and listens to them. I love hearing from people like that. You're in, a, you're in a room in a meeting and everyone's got their opinions and they're all talking about something and one person says, you know what we can't forget here? And everyone's quiet. Everyone listens to that person because everyone knows whatever this person has to say, we had better hear it. It's going to give us life. There's wisdom in these words. People like that are a gift to the world and a gift to the church. And when I think about that kind of person who speaks with authority, who speaks with great wisdom and has a reputation for it, the greatest of them all, of course, was Jesus himself. He got up on a mountain and preached a sermon, and it wasn't the first sermon ever preached on a mountain, and it wasn't the last sermon ever preached on the mountain, but we call it the Sermon on the Mount because it was that big of a deal. And when he was done, it says the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. He was done with that sermon, and oh, they were left in awe at his words. And of course, people would come and ask him questions along the way, and some of them had very honest questions about what they needed to do. Uh, some of them were asking these questions to trick him or to stump him, but no matter what, he always had the right answer. People could come to him, his opponents could come to him thinking they finally found the way to stump him, and every time he would answer and they would be speechless. He would stump them. And by the end of it, it says that after this one time when he answered his opponents, no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question, because they knew that if they asked him a question, then he was going to get to talk, and they had figured out that that was the last thing they wanted as his opponents, because his words were powerful. Well, Jesus not only was like that, but he wants to grow you into that kind of person, too. He wants to grow you into the person whose words give life to all those who hear them. To a person who has so much wisdom and so much graciousness in their speech that people are finding food in your words. They're finding nourishment in your words. And you know what happens when people find good food somewhere. What do they do? They come back over and over again. And so he wants you to grow into that kind of person that people come back to and wait to hear from and want to get counsel from because your words are that powerful and that good. Here's what he says in the book of Proverbs. He says, The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver, and the heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many but fools die for a lack of understanding. He wants your words to be those kind of righteous, wise, life-giving words that other people long to hear. But the way to get there might be the opposite of what you think. There is a counterintuitive key to becoming that wise and becoming the kind of person that people want to hear from and the kind of person that people listen to. And that is what we're going to talk about today in the book of James. If you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a sermon series on the letter of James. And we're calling that sermon series Complete because the Lord wants to use it, and I believe he wrote the letter of James, to sand off your rough edges and complete your faith. Just like 
If you're anything like me, when you look at that picture of that Rubik's Cube, you probably have this impulse to just finish it off, like it's almost there, and you just want to click it, and it's all done. Well, the Lord wants to do that with a lot of us. A lot of us are almost there, almost fully following all of Jesus' ways, and the Lord has that drive to finish us off. And that's been going on for 2,000 years, and that's what he does through the book of James. So we see all these, all these proverbs, all these attributes of following Jesus, things about following Jesus in the book. And one of those things that we're going to see today is how he wants us to speak. So if you got your Bible, turn it to James 1, verses 19 to 21. If you don't have a Bible, grab the dark pew Bible in front of you, start at the back and flip to page 177, and you will find it there. We're going to read James 1, verses 19 through 21. He says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. The words of the Lord. So the, speak, the secret, then, to speaking more powerfully is to speak less forcefully. Isn't that just the opposite of what you might think? If you want your words to matter more, you have to offer them less often. If you want people to listen to you, the secret is to listen to them. Do you see why I said this is a counterintuitive key to becoming the kind of person that people want to listen to? If you want your words to matter more, you actually have to offer them less and listen first. Something kind of funny that happened to me a couple months ago uh, that I think helped to explain this. My wife and I were on vacation down in her hometown, which is Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and her parents still live there, and we love being with her family. We love being with my family, too. And one of the best things about visiting either my parents or her parents is they just want to eat up all the time they can with our kids, and the kids want to eat up all the time they can with them. And so what's best for everyone is for them to shove us out of the house and for us to go on a date together. Like, it works for everyone, and they're just like, oh, yeah, go on, leave. You know, it's great. And so we're, we're gone, and we spent this whole morning at this bookstore just smelling coffee and smelling the books and not hearing anybody run around and ask us to do anything at all and just enjoying each other's company. And we're sitting there, and uh, we're having a great time. We must have been there for the whole morning. I had had a few cups of coffee already, and all of a sudden, I, you know, I get up and I go and ask the barista where the bathroom is, because, you know, we've been there for a while. And uh, this barista is one of those people that you want making your coffee. Like, he is into what he is doing, and do, 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 not looking up, no eye contact. He's just got it going on, and I'm thinking, I want this guy to make my cup of coffee. He's dedicated to the craft. He's serious. And the other factor going on right now is I was recovering from laryngitis at the time. And so I was just about over it, but, and I could speak again. But in order to speak, I had to, like, you know, get my chest just right and open my throat really good and access, like, the deep catacombs of my voice you know it's the only way I could talk at the time and so I walk up there and he's into it man he's making this thing and and I say excuse me could you tell me where the bathroom is and he doesn't look up he just he says straight back into the right ma'am <laughs> <And> I'm like <laughs> 
<laughs> and so I'm trying to read, like, does he realize that he just called me, or is he hiding it, or did he really not figure it out? And either way, I just kind of walk back with this little chuckle in my voice that I just, like, James Earl Jones at him so low, and then he called me ma'am, and that's it's hilarious. So I walk back to the back of the store, just like he says, and I look to the right, and guess what's to the right? The women's restroom. Fortunately for everybody, to the left, there was a men's restroom, and so some much greater problems got avoided. But we still had this hilarious fact that he had called me ma'am, and, and, and later on we got to laugh about that quite a, a bit. Now, when you're in retail like that, some of you have worked retail jobs or customer service jobs, and you know how it is, right? You get the same four questions like a hundred times in a day, right? And you know the answers, you've got them memorized, and so you're not really like listening carefully to every question you get, and you're not like deeply contemplating, oh, this, this person wants to know where the bathroom is, let me think about where that is before I answer. Like you've got pre-programmed, like you wake up in the middle of the night going straight back into the left, ma'am, because you've had to say that like 500 times. Like retail employees aren't in a good position to think deeply on the questions they're asked and to listen really carefully beforehand. And so what wound up happening there was a really good picture of what happens when we all in the course of life give bad advice or say something foolish or put our foot in our mouth. Most of the time, when we say something we shouldn't have said, it's because we spoke too quickly and didn't listen first and didn't think about it. Just like what unfortunately happened with that employee who just was really quick to answer and, and gave the wrong answer. Well, that tends to be how it happens but what James says is the secret is to be quick to listen instead and be slower to speak and be slower to anger. And it's funny that he connects that quickness to speech with quickness to anger because the two kind of tend to go hand in hand, don't they? When you get angry, that's when you get quickest to speak, isn't it? And it's also when you get quickest to put your foot in your mouth and say the wrong thing. So you're in the middle of an argument with your spouse or with your friend or somebody, and they say something that just sets you off, and it's like a trigger. It's like boom, and you're saying whatever was on your mind and whatever was on your heart. And afterwards, somebody could be talking to you about it and be like, well, what does she think about that? And you're like, I don't know what she thinks about that. I know how I feel about it, and I'm mad about it because you, you didn't have any ability to listen in the moment. Because when we get angry like that, when we get quick to speak like that, it takes away all ability to listen. And a lot of us have to be really careful with this because this can happen really easily to those of us that know the Bible well. Uh, if you know the Bible well, uh, and if you're anything like me, you've got like three or four areas that you are like serious about. And if somebody says something you don't agree with on one of those areas and you're around, they are going to know how you feel about it, right? That's how serious students of the Bible can sometimes become. And so, you know, you're in Sunday school class or talking in the lobby or talking at a coffee shop with a friend about something to do with the Lord and something to do with theology, and all of a sudden they say something that just crosses one of those sacred lines in your heart, like one of those issues you care so much about. And I know what that feels like because I feel that at times too. And what it feels like is you feel like, 
oh, I have to say something right now. Like you feel this ethical burden, like if I don't speak my heart right now, because they just crossed this line I really care about, if I don't say what's going on in here, I'm somehow being unfaithful to my convictions or I'm not honoring the Lord because what's really going on is you're just fired up on the inside. What the Lord says is, even when those sacred lines are crossed, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. So he's not saying always do what everybody says and always listen. He's not saying never speak out. He's not saying even never get angry. He's just saying to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. So there are times when we have to make a stand for the truth. There are times when a father has to grievously look at the church that he's attending and say, I don't think my family is being taught the word of God here. And he has to take action because of that and maybe lead his family to another church or take some other course of action. But there's a difference between that and the person that's just fired up about one issue and is spitting all over the pews about it whenever they get to talk about it. There's a difference between those things. There's a difference between the church that has to uh, consider whether or not they need to remove a teacher because they're teaching something that isn't true And on the other hand, a father that is so deeply involved in theological arguments online that he's not disciplining his own children. Do you see the difference there? One is a spirit of love for the truth and a spirit of grace and wanting to do the right thing. And the other one has to it a quickness to pounce, a quickness to anger. And James says here that the thing we've got to watch there when the lines get crossed is that quickness to speak foolishly, that quickness to anger. Now he says that it's really important, too. And there are two ways that James tells you that this is really important. Uh, One of them is that he puts some stuff before he says it, right? Before the be quick to listen, slow to speak, before that part, he says, now know this, my beloved brothers, like he's got that like, hey, If you zoned out, zone back in, pay attention, this part is important. Like when someone's telling a story, and they're going on, and they're going on, and they're like, but here's the thing, and then like they say the big thing, that's basically the move that James is doing there to say, now this part is really important, I've said some things, this one takes a higher priority over some of those other ones. And the other way that you know that it's important is that he tells you why you've got to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. He says the reason in the next verse. He says, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That's why we've got to be slow to anger and slow to speak and quick to listen. Because when we get angry, we don't tend to do smart, wise things that God wants us to do. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you got angry about something embraced that anger, and then did the right thing. Think for a minute. Are you having as hard of a time thinking of a time as I did? I've been asking myself that since Wednesday, and I cannot think of one time that I've gotten angry, embraced my anger, and then done the right thing, right? But it's so hard because in that moment when you're fired up and passionate, You are convinced that you were right, aren't you? And that's what makes anger so dangerous. That's why we have to be slow to 
anger. And so that means that if you speak to the truth, if you speak the truth to someone out of anger, even if you are 100% right, you're probably not being righteous because it's so rare that anger leads people to do the right thing. You can be factually right in your words, but if they're coming from anger, you're not righteous before God and how you're saying them, because the seeds of anger do not tend to bear the fruit of righteousness. That is why it is so important that we must be slow to anger. Let me read some Proverbs off to you to kind of show this. Proverbs 10:19 says, when there are many words, Transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So when this person speaks quickly and that person speaks quickly and we're all just throwing words at each other, it says transgression is unavoidable. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So if there's a chance that the conversation you're having could escalate into more than a conversation but a fight with words, what's the quickest way to get there? A harsh word will get it there really fast. But a gentle word can quell something down because it's so rare that speaking quickly or speaking out of anger can lead a conversation to righteousness. Proverbs 17, 27 and 28 say, He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. And when he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. So what's the key then to people viewing you as wise? <laughs> the scripture says, even if you're actually a fool, all you have to do is not say anything. And people will think that you're a wise. When everyone's just, you know, echo chamber, back and forth, talking and talking, and you've got enough restraint and self-control to just sit there and not get in on it, well, people will notice that you're not as foolish as those people that cannot restrain their tongues. And finally, Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. In other words, anger tends to lead people to do foolish things. So it is hugely important for Christians that we be slow to anger, and slow to speak, and quick to listen. So following Jesus will give you wisdom in the middle of disagreeing with your wife to stop and to say, okay, wait a minute, what is she saying right now? Why is this important to her? What's going on right now? And to not say another word to her until you understand what's going on in her heart. And guess what, husbands, if you do that, she's far more likely to listen to what you've got to say because your wife wants few things more than for you to understand her. Jesus will give you wisdom in following him to sit in a meeting with a group of people that some people feel this way about an issue and others people feel another way about it. He'll give you the wisdom to look around that room and say, okay, he thinks this, she thinks that, she thinks that, he thinks this, and go around that whole room and understand what everyone thinks about it before you make your point. Now, the impulse of your flesh is going to be, i got to make my point before they do, because if they speak before I do, then nobody's going to listen to me, and my point's not going to get through there. And what's most important here is that everybody knows what I think. But the truth is actually that if you know what everyone thinks before you say anything, you're better equipped to speak to them in a way that will be important to them, in a way that they will listen. So if you've got the counterintuitive wisdom to wait and then speak, even though it doesn't feel like that's what's going to happen, 
it's far more likely that people are going to listen to you. So there's a counterintuitive key there then to, uh, to speaking in a way that matters to others. And it's to be slow to speak. Now, here's where this text gets really good. It's already told you how the Lord wants Christians to speak and talk. And it's already told you why that's important. But now it's going to tell you how to get there. Because it's the worst thing in the world when you figure out that you're not doing something right and you want to do it better and then it's just left there. And you're like, oh, what, what am I going to do now? What? Thank the Lord that in this letter right here in the very next sentence it tells us how to get there. Look at the next verse in verse 21. It says, therefore, which means because of what was just said, now do this. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility... Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So how do you get there? How do you become that wise person that has restraint for their words and listens before talking? Well, what you have to do is turn completely from all sin in your life and fully receive that implanted word, which is the gospel, and follow Jesus. The good news of Jesus is the key to getting there. Now when it says the implanted word which is able to save your souls, it's talking about the gospel, which is often called the word in the Bible. It's the word that can save you. We call it the good news a lot of times, which is what gospel means. And if you've never heard it before, I'll, I'll explain to you what we mean when we say that. Uh, you know, a lot of us, probably all of us, have this desire in us for justice to be done. Like, no one wants a world where terrible people like, like Adolf Hitler and that kind of people can die at the end of their life and not have to face God for what they did. We don't want a world like that. We want God to be just, and we want to know that some of the wicked things we see going on, that those people will have to answer for that. Well, part of the good news is that God is just, and he looks at sin, and he doesn't forget about it, but he says, I will remember that one day. And that's good news because it means we have a just God, but it can kind of be bad news for us because the bad news is that we've done wicked things too, haven't we? And we don't want God to just be just toward a little bit of it. We want God to be just toward everything, and that means that we've got to answer for our sin when we die and go before the Lord. And that means that if you have ever done anything wrong before, you ought to be spending the rest of your life looking for how you can get those black marks off of your record. You ought to be spending your whole life looking for how you can find forgiveness for the things that you have done. Well, God made a way for that forgiveness to be given to us. What he did was he sent his own son, and his name was Jesus. Uh, he was God himself, and he was God's son, and kind of a mystery that's hard to comprehend or, or to say even. He sent him here to the earth. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned once. So he was the only one among us who doesn't have to worry about what's going to happen when he dies. And even though he deserved not to die because he never sinned, and he did not deserve to face God's wrath because he never sinned, even though those things were true, he willingly allowed himself to be executed. And when he died on that cross, he bore the wrath and the justice of God that was due to us for our sins. That is why we say Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Because we believe that on that cross, he paid a debt of sin that we owed. He, he didn't deserve to die, but he did die. 
We're the ones that deserve to die. And so he calls sinners everywhere to turn from their sin and to come and follow him. To some of you, that may be the first time that you've ever heard that, and I plead with you, turn from your sin and follow him. And for many of you, I imagine you've heard that many times before, and what happens is you, you turn from your sin once and you follow Jesus, and along the way, he keeps pointing out other things in your life, like, oop, there's still that one, turn from that one, and okay, now you gotta turn from that one. And then he points out another one, oop, there's still another one there, turn from that, and you gotta turn from that one. And so, for some of us right now, we've been following Jesus for a while, and he's pointing out, oop, there's there's one more sin you need to turn from. It's, it's quickness to speak and quickness to anger. I want you to turn from that and be slow to speak. Well, to do that, you've got to continue to receive that implanted word that the Lord put in you, that gospel. And in humility, you've got to continue saying, I am a sinner who needs to be forgiven. Jesus, forgive me. May your blood cover for my sin. I will cast off all sin, including that quickness to speak and that quickness to anger, and I will follow you. For some of you today, that is what the Lord is calling you to do, to cast off that one more sin. That's why it says all the, all the wickedness that remains, because some of it still kind of remains and clings to you, to cast that one more off and say, Lord, I will follow you fully and completely. That is what he calls from you, full and complete faith with no compromises. That doesn't mean you'll never sin again. It just means that every area of your life is his and you are willing to follow all of his commands. That complete faith is what the Lord calls every single one of us to do right now. So let's pray and ask the Lord to give it to us.